everybody and welcome to another one in our long-running series of financial well-being podcasts. I say long-running. This, unbelievably, is podcast number 92. We've been doing this so long, I can't quite remember when we started, but I know that every single one has been a deep joy to record and present, and I'm sure that today is going to be no different. My name's David Lloyd. I'm the kind of host, co-presenter of this podcast, and with me are two rather marvellous people, Chris Budd and Tom Morris. Who wants to say hello first, Chris? Oh, okay. Uh, hello. Do you know uh, what you say about um, long-running podcasts? Just this last week was an industry conference, the uh, Personal Finance Society's Festival of Financial Planning, and I had people coming up to me and just tapping on the back and shaking my hand and saying, just to let you know, I love the podcast. Isn't that great? That is absolutely brilliant. That's good because because you guys are out and about in the industry that we talk about, whereas I'm not. I'm the sort of I say outsider. You know, I'm the I'm the neutral, if you like, calling you out when you get too technical. Uh, so I don't get that feedback. So it's really really good that uh, that you guys are getting the recognition that we all deserve. So it's, that it's wonderful. But I'll go on the flip side to that. So I was going. Oh, I say what you're up to. Yeah, yeah, do, doing all right. Oh, somebody said, oh, I've just started a podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah, well, we've been doing one for six years, you know, got to drop that in. Oh, do you? I was like, oh, great, so it hasn't permeated too far. <laughs> well, obviously, um, obviously, I'm hoping that the two of you get all the time. What's it like working with Dave Lloyd? That must be fantastic. It, it, well. I was going to be quiet. <laughs> um, so, when he can hear us, when his, mic, um, when his headphones work. No, but it it is really promising that that we do obviously have a a very good listenership, and and it's actually what's really great is to hear that that profession you know financial services professionals are listening as well because we hope that some of the message what we what we talk about permeates through to the clients that they speak to as well. So yeah, yeah, that's really oh that's good, Chris. I'm glad about that. So those two voices, just for those people that have no idea who they were, were Chris Budd and uh, Tom Morris. Chris, tell us a little bit more about yourself, please. Well, uh, I live in North Somerset with uh, too many guitars. And uh, my news at the moment is that the manuscript for Financial Wellbeing Book 2 has been submitted. Um, so my sixth book with three novels and the Financial Wellbeing book. Uh, this is a, a really deep look. It's called The Four Cornerstones of Financial Wellbeing. Well, it is at the moment, unless anybody's got a better title, which I'm open ears to. Um, <laughs> but it touches on many of the things that we've been going through in the podcast. This podcast is mentioned often. Um, it was a, a real labour of love over the summer. And, yeah, submitted at end of September, I think it was. So uh, it's currently being edited and, and, and uh, covers worked on and Frankfurt book fairs are being discussing it in earnestness. Uh, so, yeah, very excited about that. Should be out in the spring. Excellent. I think you should call it how brilliant it is to work with Dave Lloyd. But if you <laughs> want to call it the four financial corners of well-being, then by all means do. I'm not going to get huffy and sulky about that. Tom Morris, forget him, that Chris person. Who are you? Uh, who am I? So, yeah, uh, Tom Morris... Director and Chartered Financial Planner over at Ovation Finance in Bristol. Um, in fact, we had our catch-up this week, didn't we, David? Uh, we did, yes. I had my financial review with Tomo, who doubles not only as uh, a very interesting and informative person on the podcast, but my financial advisor. And we had a really good conversation. It was good to catch up and, and make me realise uh, that, that I'm doing all right financially. Would you say, would you agree, Tomo? 
I would, David. You've done you 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 you've done awfully well all these years to do all the right things that you should do, and now you're in a position to, uh, yeah, enjoy the fruits of those labours, which is which is brilliant. Which reminds me, Chris, you and I still need to have that conversation about the holiday I want to have in Bali, where I'm going to spend huge amounts of the money that I've been very carefully squirrelling away. Well, 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 well hang on a second. It was it was a long weekend in Margate. We didn't get as far as uh, as far as a trip to Bali. No, it was good to catch up. Um, and uh, yeah, can I, um, there you go. Can I can I just share a little story on those lines? My dad, um, uh, when I remember this when I was a teenager, my dad was in the pub, and a guy said to him, "Hey, George, do you fancy it? Because I'm in Somerset. George, do you fancy a trip? We're going to a coach trip to Paris. Do you want to come? It's a tenner." And dad thought, "Tenner, go to Paris? Oh, I'm not going to turn that down." He thought, tight ass Tommy would be proud of me if they'd taken that one, he thought. So my mum would get on the coach at six o'clock on the Saturday morning and off they go up the M32 out of Bristol and then they get onto the M4 and they turn left. My dad's thinking, Paris is the other way. This is weird. So he goes up to the chap and says, um, I thought we would go to Paris. No, George, Paris, Wales, mate. <laughs> <laughs> We had a cat once that we got from the Cat Protection League, and uh, uh, and my wife, my late wife, said, uh, "Well, it's from Wales, apparently. From Wales, apparently. So we're going to call it Taffy." But it turns out it wasn't from Wales at all. It was from Wells because the person from the Cat Protection League said, "Where's it from?" She said, "Oh, it's from Wales." <laughs> oh, brilliant, brilliant. Um, anyway, now, uh, we digress. We do digress, but I would like to do a shameless plug of something else that 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 myself and and Chris are involved in, and and. Now we know that there are professionals listening to well, financial service professionals listening to this podcast is um, well, to at least two <laughs> is that um, I think we spoke on here before about how the initiative for financial well-being, which is something me and Chris have been involved in for a number of years, got its institute status in in August time now, wasn't it, Chris? August 22. Um, but if you are not familiar with them. And you're somebody who's a professional uh, financial services professional. Listen to this. Go check it out. Institute for Financial Wellbeing. Google it. Check it out. Become a member because we talk about these topics um, and more detail uh, beyond that. And and yeah, there seems to be a growing, growing uh, swell of people wanting to really learn about this topic. So yeah, please get involved. And Excellent. Say, okay. Sorry, Dave, sorry, David. And when we say growing swell, I just say that we run this training course, a certificate in financial well-being. We've got four certificate course cohorts running at the same time at the moment. It's amazing. Wow. So if you are not a financial advisor type of person and you're a member of the public and you want to either you have a financial advisor or you want one, ask them if they're a member of the Institute of Financial Wellbeing. And if not, why not? Brilliant. We've now had eight minutes, 21 seconds of inconsequential banter, and we haven't even started the podcast yet. So I think it's about time that we did. What are we talking about today, Chris? Okay, today we're going to look at a behavioural bias known as framing. It's something that happens without us realising it, and often used against us to make us buy things we don't need. We can, however, use it to make better financial decisions. Well, sometimes when you give us the little tease at the beginning of a podcast, I think, oh, yeah, I, I know where that's going. I've got a bit of an idea about what you might be saying. But this time, I genuinely am none the wiser. So I look forward to finding out a little bit more about framing. However, before we do that, let's go to our regular feature, No Shizzle Sherlock, in which we listen to some accepted words of wisdom about investing and wonder whether this is indeed the sort of advice that every investor should follow or whether it is, in fact, not that thing 
So <laughs> I just got to the point in the script where it says, David inserts joke here, and I realised <laughs> I had written the joke. <laughs> so I'm giving away some of the trade secrets. <laughs> so, nothing like preparation, and that is exactly. And like this has been nothing like preparation. <laughs> no, actually, I did make. When you asked me to do that a while ago, Chris, I did actually make a list of little jokes that I could insert here, but I've forgotten to prepare one and stick one in. So you'll just have to make do with this little bit of incompetence. You see, I'm sure our listeners can think of their own. We're completely honest about how useless we are on this podcast. So well, at least it's not incontinence yet. At least it's incompetence <laughs> and not incontinence at your age. That's a promising start. Chris, what are we talking about today in terms of our no shizzle Sherlock? Okay, so today we're going to consider a. Oh, I say we. Tomo is going to consider a quote from an American businessman and politician called Bernard Baruch. I don't know if that's pronounced correctly, but it's my best stab. He made lots of money on Wall Street and was an expert advising the government on the role of industry in war supply during both world wars. Oh, wow, sounds like a very interesting chap indeed. Yeah, doesn't he, though? He's a new one on me, I must confess. I hadn't realised it was him who uttered what, at least for me, is one of the most famous quotes about investing, which is, nobody went broke taking a profit. Now, I have to say that does sound like it's going to be a well, no shizzle Sherlock. It really seems like he's stating the bleeding obvious there. Or is it actually dispensing deep wisdom? Over to our investment expert, Tomo, for the final say. Well, yeah, this does feel a bit no shizzle Sherlock. Uh, well, duh. Um, no, I, actually, I'm not going to link this to investments as we know it in terms of in your pension funds or your ISAs, that sort of thing. I'm going to think about the business owner clients that I work with. And the taking profits in the good years, perhaps bringing them outside of your business and into your personal life can be a really good way of actually building up um, a pot that makes you independent of the business that you've been building. So uh, basically taking profits off the table. And that's a key thing that I talk to business owners about that. Yes, it would be great one day if your business is worth X amount and you get a big big sale fantastic we all get to celebrate that's great and but it doesn't always happen that way and perhaps along the way of just making some sensible decisions about putting money aside when you've had some good years means that if things do go wrong which they can do you don't go broke so maybe they're taking profit along the way will prevent you going broke i think that's a, a fair way to frame it perhaps Okay, so do you think it is then a no shizzle Sherlock? Or do you think it's pretty obvious to say nobody went broke taking a profit? I think it's obvious, but like many of these, not necessarily easily done. Exactly. Right. Okay, thank you very much for that, Tomo. And now we'll move on to the other one of our regular features, the tight ass Tomo. We've had him dispensing pearls of wisdom in terms of how we can all save money. But before we move on to Tomo, Chris, have you got anything for us? Yeah. I have. Um, I'm a bit wary of this one. I think. Oh, hello. Here we go. I think Tom might tell me off for this one. But um, I was having a chat with a mate of mine uh, and he was telling me about a friend of his who has a friend of his, you know, one of those stories who's in the army cadets. And they were at a train station and his friend was in full uniform and he went to collect. He'd been to the left some luggage in the left luggage place. He went to collect it. I went to pay and they refused to take payment because he was in the forces because he was in full uniform 
So here is the idea. <laughs> You're not really going there, are you, Chris? I know, I know. Buy a, this isn't serious, but buy a second-hand army uniform and get given <laughs> loads of stuff for free. There we go. That's not So it backs up the last episode's tip of why don't you go and just pretend you were going to buy a car, use it as a test drive, drive around and use it for your errands all day with no intention of buying it. And now we're dressing up as uh, in, yeah, in second hand yeah. um, for freebies. Oh dear. If you listen really carefully, you can hear the sound of that barrel being scraped. <laughs> yeah. Indeed, yes. Well, I've got one. I'm not quite sure that it is a Titus Tomo tip. I can do what I have recently done and invest in a robo cleaner, a robo vacuum cleaner, all right, which is basically a robot that does your vacuuming for you. Now, they're not cheap. I have to say, you can pay quite a lot of money for them, and uh, we did. Uh, but basically, you switch it on, and it just vacuums your house for you. And not only does it do that, it then goes onto its little base station, empties itself, recharges itself, and when you ask it to, goes out and does it again. So you're not saving an awful lot of money up front. Over a longer period of time, you will be. But for me, you actually have the immense satisfaction of not ever having to do any hoovering. Wow. Mr. Titus, what's your tip for today? Well, we're going on a theme. It's not my tip, but we'll go with it anyway. Um, we were in um, we were in the office the other day, and it's my colleague over at Ovation, Christian. Uh, he has a dog, and he went away for the weekend. And you know when you can always take your dog away, and you've got to find a you've got to find a dog sitter or put them in a kennel or but he said no i found something called trustedhousesitter.com and the idea is is that you 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 put all your credentials on and become a trusted house sitter and you, it's almost like an exchange of time so you can go and travel somewhere in the uk might be abroad as well and go and stay in someone's house and sit their dog for them so you know, take them out for a walk feed them do, do the bits but they will also do that for you so when you want to go away, you can have somebody come and stay in your house, look after the dog for the weekend, then they go back to wherever they they live and you come back home from your holiday. I thought that was really quite a, a neat way of, of of dog owners. I think probably does cat owners as well, or pet owners full stop. A way in which they can uh, yeah, get around but also save some money on their on their dog. What, what would you call it? Dog looking after? Dog sitting, I suppose. Dog yeah, sitting, that's yeah. not a bad idea. Go check it out. I've not because it's not something I have to overly worry about. I don't have a dog. Let's get on today's topic, chaps. What's this framing thing all about then, Chris? Right. Framing is a behavioural bias that's present in everyone and it describes uh, how information is presented. So to give an example, one might describe the results of a survey as being that 70% of customers were satisfied which sounds a lot better than 30% of customers were unsatisfied. Uh, do you know what? I saw that uh, something very similar on a plastic bag the other day. It said, over 20% of this bag is made from recycled materials. And I thought, well, that means that 80% of it wasn't. <laughs> oh, it's so true, isn't it? Uh, look, as a, as a parent of young children, um, framing comes in handy. So if I, if I think about uh, my five-year-old Toby and it's time for bedtime, you know, if I tell him to, you know, go upstairs and get ready, go pop your pyjamas on or, or, or get in the bath. There's a whole manner of a fuss. It's like, no, no, I don't want to do that. But as soon as I say, right, I count to 10. If you get up there before 10 um, and do exactly the same task, 
But as soon as I turn it into some kind of competition or event, he's up there like a shot. It's unbelievable. It, it does work every time. It's also used in um, in retail pricing a lot. So if you want to sell a product for four pounds, you put a put it on for five pounds. Now the sticker saying twenty percent off. Instantly, you feel like you're getting a bargain, and we buy three of them, right? Oh, excellent. So I think I'm getting what framing means. Uh, in fact, uh, that reminds me, I went to um, on a tour of the House of Commons recently, and uh, in the Commons Library, there's this shelf after shelf of these dusty old leather-bound books, and they all look like really, really impressive, but it did occur, but they were books like about Victorian houses and things like that, and I, I did wonder if anyone ever actually looks at those books or whether they're just there for show. Yeah, exactly. Another example would be a doctor wearing a stethoscope and a white coat. You, you could call framing um, managing expectations might be another way of thinking about it. The point is, you can put a person in a suit in a room full of leather bound legal volumes and we will believe that they know all about the law. I remember my father used to say that in the army, if you wanted to look busy or not get bothered, you just picked up a clipboard and you walked around. And then everybody assumed that you were, you know, or... I'm sure I, I, I knew somebody that used to get into festivals for free, but he just bought a yellow jacket. You know? <laughs> and so nobody challenges you. It's that kind of stuff. Um, that same person could be dressed in shorts and a T-shirt in a room full of comics, and we might not be so confident in their legal advice. So framing is presenting the same information in different ways to get different results. Mm. It's, as we alluded to in this uh, earlier on in this podcast, we do have a lot of financial planners who listen um, to us. So um, I have a quick tip that might help them around framing. Well, and I'm surprised you haven't mentioned this yourself, Tomo, so far. You are, of course, the financial well-being champion, as, as mentioned in previous podcasts. So you're well qualified to give out such tips. Quite, David. Quite. And I'm glad you mentioned it. Um, it will never. Get well, I know you were far too modest to bring it up yourself, so I thought I probably should do. Well, thank you. But keep carrying on. Checks in the post. Um, so when a, when, a, when a client visits a financial advisor... Um, they're expecting to get advice about their finances, um, you know, especially if it's the first time. However, the financial planning process starts with us helping to understand what a client wants from life, you know, what gives them meaning and purpose and working around that, um, you know, especially for financial planners with a financial well-being orientation. So we need to spend time trying to make sure the client is ready for the conversation that they're about to have and knows that it's not necessarily going to be about their money and they need to be ready for that. Right, okay. And I guess that uh, Ovation, you'll do that by your newsletters, uh, which I receive on a regular basis, uh, introductory email, oh, maybe even by producing 90 plus episodes of a financial <laughs> wellbeing podcast. Hey, look, that's one of the reasons why we've been so keen to do these at Ovation is that um, if people listen to them, and, and, and come and find us that they're they're ready or they already know what kind of conversation we might have with them. Um, but to use a really technical term, this is this is in coaching parlance, contracting. And what that is, is just letting somebody know or give them expectation of what they're going to be um, experiencing. Um, and it might well be that first telephone call you have with them. Hi, yeah, want to have some financial advice. Great. So have a meeting and just giving them an idea of what that first meeting is going to look like. Actually, this isn't big about your finances. We just want to get to know more about you and what's important to you. Reiterating the email that gives them all the details of how to find you or the link to the Zoom Zoom conversation. All of that is just constantly letting them know what to expect so people aren't caught unaware. Because as soon as they're caught unaware, 
They're very unlikely to want to respond in a positive way and they might clam up, which is the exact opposite of what a good open conversation between a client and financial planner should be about. Even the questions financial advisors and planners ask are a sort of framing or can be um, even questions we ask each other and ask friends. Uh, so a popular question for financial planners at the moment for a discovery type meeting is what does money mean to you or similar variants such as what is your relationship to money? Um, it's intended to steer the client away from conversation about pensions and investments, but actually all it does is it frames the conversation to be entirely about money. Yeah. Now, presumably we do this ourselves in discussions about money, not just with our financial planner. I'm thinking, you know, between couples, for example. Yeah, absolutely. Framing influences our decisions in ways we don't intend. Um, let's take an example. Suppose two people are thinking about what they might do when the children leave home. And a question one might ask could be, um, will you play more golf? At least it would be for someone who plays golf, obviously. Um, however, this frames retirement to be about golf. Instead, you might ask each other, is there anything you haven't done that you would like to do? Or perhaps what could bring you meaning and purpose? We can move the conversation onto the money later, but first we want to discuss, and we've talked about it in the podcast before, those intrinsic motivations, um, those things that, that really, really get us, get us up and, and give us that purpose. And there's another thing about framing when it comes to money. Uh, we often frame our future around what we think we can afford. This places our future in the context of preconceived ideas about money. So this can limit our thinking or Again, it could lead us to seeing the acquiring of more money as being the objective of life. We know from all these podcasts that we've done that after a certain point, more money doesn't make you more happy. That the things that um, give us well-being are things like the quality of our social relationships and living a life of, uh, with meaning and purpose. We should therefore start any discussion about our future to be about our well-being and not about our money. So are we saying that in financial well-being terms, framing is our tendency to view money as an objective rather than an engine for well-being? Oh, oh I, I think you fit onto something, David. I just I like moments, you know. Money as an engine of well-being. Yeah, hmm. yeah, I think you fit the nail on the head there. Good. So, all right. Well, now we're agreed on that. We understand what framing is. What would be your top five tips for framing when it comes to money? Okay, so I'll go first. Um, my first one would be about spending habits. We should try to base a buying decision on need rather than on whether you are getting a bargain. Now, I am totally guilty of this when it comes to buying music, for example. I've got several thousand CDs and several thousand vinyl albums. In fact, if you, I've got it all on a hard drive. And if you pressed play on the first song of the hard drive and you carried on played every single track on that hard drive, 24 hours a day without pause until it finished, it would take 136 years to play all the music that I own. Um, but I still buy more music. Uh, crazy. Now, when I was at university and spending my grant on buying records... Well, 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 well. You just used the G word. A grant, I know. Can what, you believe what, it? What, that, that... A grant, sorry. What, what, what's one of those? For us yeah. non-boomers, can you explain well, when what Chris one of those and I, when Chris and I were lads, <laughs> we used to get paid to go to university. The government used to give us money. And do you know what? Because my dad worked for Shell at the time. They had a gradual, uh, a gradual, a graduation uh, bursary scheme as well. So Shell used to give me extra money on top of the grant that I got from the government 
just because my dad worked there. It was fantastic. I was never really better off than when I was a student. It was brilliant. Well, any millennials or Gen Zers or anyone listening to this, just remember, just enjoy those loans you're still paying off. Enjoy those really expensive house prices. And just remember, it's the boomers who have no, of, of course, it's the, it's the way it was back then. I'm going to stop my millennial whining because that yeah, does please nobody do, any I've got good to go at all. Crack open a bottle of champagne and eat some lobster soon. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, I'm not complaining. Quite frankly, you know, clearly, people like yourself, David, of that generation, have uh, have been kind enough to let me do financial planning with them and, and pay my bills. So, who am I to complain? And look, the grants were a fantastic thing because I wouldn't have my record collection without them. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, you do have a point, Tom. You have a very valid point. Um, but my mate, Andy Bridgman, uh, who I shared a, a house with, amongst others, um, used to say when I'd come back from Yank's record store in Manchester with another armful of albums, um, and they all had a little nick out from the American imports, and I'd get like a Jags album for 29p because it had I Got Your Number on it, and the rest of it was rubbish. And he would always say to me, and he was quite right, he would always say, you buy your music based upon price. And he was right. I'd always buy a double album for eight quid over a single album for a fiver. So the message is, if you see a bargain, before you dive in, ask yourself if you really want or need the item in question, or are you just being tempted because it's a bargain? Because it may well be that framing is being used to encourage you to make that purchase. Well, you may well then ask yourself, Chris, do you really need 136 years' worth of music? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think I know the answer. I like options, David. I like <laughs> options. Um, so another tip, a framing tip that relates to how investment performance is presented. All investment companies want you to think that their investment funds are the best. Naturally, of course they do. Um, the trouble is what they are selling is unknown. How the funds will perform in the future. That, that's an unknown. We might be able to look at the past, but it's unknown. The present. Um, so, so they present the past performance of their funds in the best possible light. But it's just make sure that you realise that that's not necessarily a guide to the future. But how can they do that? Surely, particularly within a financial industry, past performance is something you can't change. Um, well, no, you can't, but you can certainly uh, change the date range, perhaps, to suit you. Um, you know, just a week or a month, one way or the other, can completely change the performance of one fund against its peers. Um, if you look at the detail of a performance chart and see that the dates are something like 5th of July to the 8th of, 8th of May, um, you know, you're fairly certain that the chart's been manipulated to show the fund at its best. Well, now I'm going to be a bit controversial here. Would it be fair to say never trust an investment manager or financial <laughs> advice company with its own investment funds that claims to be the best? I am definitely not. I'm not saying that. No, I'm just saying, look, be be smart. They, they have marketing departments for a reason. They, they're, they're all trying to make make money like anybody else. Um, I'll be honest, at Ovation, we're quite keen fans of of, of index type funds. So it sort of kind of negates this this whole game. Um, but but yeah, look, just be careful when you're looking at performance that you're not having the wall pulled over your eyes. So yeah, maybe there's a look at the date that's being given and see whether it's a uh, looks odd or very usually you find it's if it's from one start of the quarter to the next or one start of the month to the next that's usually a good starting point when you see some odd dates mm, i wonder right yeah that's, that is a very good tip now i've actually got one from an old friend of the podcast neil bage of shaping wealth and this is just to prove that that, that 
I do actually take some of this stuff in. Neil has talked in the past, I think, about how if something is framed positively, we're more likely to buy it. And I'm going to quote Neil now. He says, if we consciously think through the decision we are making and based it on fact, it becomes easier to spot when we are becoming susceptible to framing. And when he talks about financial advisors, he says, it's the responsibility of the advisor to ensure that they aren't framing something overly negatively or overly positively. He then adds, it's equally the job of the investor, that's the client, to carry out due diligence on the decisions they are making based on the information that is presented to them. Mm, that's a great, I mean, Neil, of course, it's a great point. The guy knows so much on this. I mean, listeners who have financial advisors might ask themselves whether the advice they are given is being positively framed. For example, if it focuses on a particular product as opposed to being intended to help them achieve their financial objectives. So what do I mean by yeah, an over-focus on a product rather than their overarching objectives that they're trying to achieve. And I, I am going to go a slight step further and say, especially if that product is offered by their own company. Okay, moving on quickly to another mm. tip. Um, another tip relates to what I was saying about how to ask questions when trying to create options. We know that one of the five pillars of financial well-being is having a clear path to identifiable objectives. And as Tom mentioned earlier, we've talked about intrinsic motivations, internal self-worth, meaning and purpose. That's what we mean by objectives. Whether you're financial planning, helping a client to think about their future, or you're thinking about your own future, discussing with a partner or friend, Try not to frame your questions with any predisposed notion of what the future might be. In coaching terms, this is known as clean questioning. It is actually very difficult to do. Right. I'm just going to pause you there, Chris. I'm not sure I entirely uh, understand what you mean by clean questioning. Could you clarify? Yeah, it, it's, a, it's a simple in concept, but very hard in practice. It means asking a question which has none of your own values and is not leading in any way. So... If I'm going out for the evening, my wife might say to me, oh, you're going to wear that shirt, are you? Right. Now, that is clearly a leading question. And, and, and most of the time, should I say, fair, fair enough, David, isn't it? Yes, she's got a very valid point. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for the backup, guys. <laughs> uh, I, this clean questioning thing is hard. Um, I've done myself, gone through lots to train on this because it, it, and it still needs to be honed because it is hard bringing in your own your own values into things is is the most difficult difficult thing. Um, so, look, a good example of a clean question might come when the, around the discussion of retirement. You know, someone might say, "I want to retire at sixty-five." If you ask someone what they want to do next, they will often say, "A good example is travel in some form." The next clean question might then be, "When you have been travelling, then what happens?" Okay. So that's four tips. Do we have one more, Chris? Yeah. So let's remember that framing bias at its simplest means that the same information can be presented in different ways to create different outcomes. So far, we've suggested that people be more aware of how marketing advertising uses this to tempt us into buying stuff we don't actually want. But we can also use this in a positive way. So, for example, a really simple change might be to call the annual review meeting that you guys talked about earlier on with your financial advisor, there's actually a financial planning meeting. So now, rather than the meeting being focused on the performance of an investment portfolio in the past, it becomes focused on your clear path to identifiable objectives. That's really interesting, Chris, because, yes, we, we had our financial review earlier this uh, week, actually. 
But looking back over all the review meetings that I've had, it used to be that when I first started having them with you, Chris, back in the day, before you passed me on to a series of uh, uh, advisors, Tomo being the latest and indeed the best, um, <laughs> <laughs> that, um, it used to be very much about, well, your portfolio's done this last year and that's gone up and that's gone down and that's gone up. And I'd sit there like a nodding dog going, oh, yeah, OK, all well, the Southeast Asian market's not been great without really understanding any of it. And in fact, we don't really talk about past performance much at all now. We talk, we look forward and we talk about, you know, well, what do you want to do this year? This is what you've got. This is where it's at. How can we use this money that you still have to make you feel better and increasing your will, your financial well-being? So that's been a real shift in the way that, that, that I use my financial meetings. And, and that, you know, guilty as charged, I used to do this all the time. I think about 15 years ago, how bored all my clients must have been with me going through their investment portfolio. How bored I was as well, to be frank. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a positive change that we've made. Can I just leave a little tip? It's not to do with framing, but it's something I heard. And we look, maybe look back. You, you sometimes look back at even the year before. You, you cringe a little bit. You cringe a little bit. Oh, my God, because you develop as a person, you get better at doing things. You have a better understanding of the world. And somebody said to me, and I think of my professional life, if I'm not cringing about what I did a year ago, I'm not learning enough. And I thought that was a really interesting way of framing it. There you go. So if you are feeling a little bit, oh, I used to do that, that's fine. That means that you're improving. So I just thought if anyone is, feels they're in that space and is perhaps a bit worried about moving on and, and yeah, anyway, I don't know where we're going with that, but I just thought I'd, I'd share that. Yeah, I think no, it's a really, good point. Really it's nice a good step. point. I think it's good. It's good to just look back sometimes and, and, you know, with a degree of embarrassment, I do it sometimes. I sometimes wake up in a cold sweat about something I said or did 40 years ago. <laughs> uh, and, and, and I may not may not be something that I was terribly proud of, but at least I, I now know enough about myself to make sure I never, ever do it again. So just going back to uh, the last tip uh, and about using this framing bias in a positive way, it's all about the stories that we tell ourselves. Mm. Um, I don't know if you remember Dr. Elia Gregoris uh, from podcast 65, I think it was. I hope I got that right, being the show notes. Um, he told the story of how he had been called the happy child just because the nurse who was pointing him out as a newborn to his father happened to look at the moment he was smiling. And that name stuck with him forever. Retirement's another word that has got a lot of framing around it. So maybe we don't call it retirement. We call it the next big adventure or something. Well, yes. I mean, I, uh, you know, I'm happy to share the fact that I'm 67 now and thought that a couple of years ago, I probably was moving towards retirement. But as I discussed with Tomo at the aforementioned review meeting the other day, I no longer feel that I particularly want to because I enjoy my work very much. I can pick and choose the work that I do. And when I do it, I'm still getting pretty nicely paid for the stuff that I do. My, my partner isn't planning on retiring for another two or three years. So I'm carrying on and I do feel it is a bit more an adventure because I'm no longer bound by the need, desperate need to work to earn money. I do it because it makes me feel good. So once again, it's all about financial well-being. It right. Is. And I'm, I'm sorry just to add a little bit onto that. And it's this this retirement framing is a big one, actually. Um, the next adventure, I like that. Um, I don't... <sighs> I use the word retirement because people kind of understand it's it, what it means, but I don't like it. I think maybe if you're creating a financial plan, it's trying to work to the point of which you're working because you want to, not because you financially have to. And it's just for some people, retirement can be a very daunting cliff edge moment. 
and actually sometimes means they put their head in the sand and don't want to think about it because this is implied you've got to stop at a certain point and we're beyond that we're beyond that as a society so perhaps when you're building your financial plan think of it that you're trying to build to that point that you're financially working because you want to not because you have to absolutely right and, I, and certainly as somebody who's in that situation i can absolutely back that up right to recap framing is where information can be presented in different ways to get different outcomes we need to be aware of it so that we are not led into poor financial outcomes indeed but we can also use it to drive our behaviors to make better financial decisions <sighs> We love ending this podcast with a mm. burst of positivity. So, Chris, Tomo, thank you both very much. Been a really interesting discussion. Well, we found it interesting. I hope that you have too. I hope that lovely producer Tammy can uh, cut through some of the verbiage and waffle that we've managed to get in there and edit this down to something that you'll enjoy at home and that you will join us next time for another one in our series of financial wellbeing podcasts. If you want to be notified of upcoming podcasts, make sure you click the subscribe button. For more information on the topics discussed in today's podcast and to purchase a copy of the Financial Wellbeing book, please visit www.financialwell-being.co.uk. We'd love to hear your thoughts and ideas on financial wellbeing. You can send us an email at contact at financialwell-being.co.uk. You can follow us on Twitter at FinWellBeing. Chris is Ovation Chris, and David is at Dave underscore Backwell. This has been an Ovation Finance production. Thanks for listening to the Financial Wellbeing Podcast. More interesting than you might think.